Romans 10:13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Psalms 127, 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Jeremiah 9:23-24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Psalms 119.32 I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. This is the word of God. Well, as Chauncey mentioned a moment ago, um, it was eight years ago today that the Christ Community Church family gathered for the first time. At that time, uh, it was actually just a team of eight of us. When we talk about planning a church, there wasn't some big church plant launch. There was just eight friends gathered in Chauncey's living room um, and praying, praying, praying for South Oklahoma City and uh, then we all were moving into the neighborhood here and spent the next several months, the next year, and really the last eight years, building relationships in the community, trying to learn how to follow Jesus, how to love one another, how to share the stories of Jesus with our neighbors, and as more and more people respond to the gospel, how to live as faithful disciples of Jesus together. So that's what we've been doing for the last eight years. And so that was the first Sunday in June of 2000. Uh, 10. When the first Sunday in June of 2011 rolled around, we said, hey, let's have like a birthday celebration anniversary party and take that as a time to look back over what God has done over the last year and give him thanks and, and reflect on what he's taught us. And then to look forward um, to reflect on where we sense that God is leading us going forward. And that was fun. And so we kept doing it. So here we are, eight years later. So every year at the first Sunday of June, we take a break from what we've been doing on Sunday morning. Lately, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. So next week, we'll get back to the Gospel of Mark and continue studying the life of Jesus from that Gospel. But today, um, here, here's what we're doing. It's not so much going to be preached. I mean, I may get worked up and preached. Chauncey may get. But we really just want to have kind of a conversational time. Chauncey and I each did this. We, we just prayed and thought for a while. And tried to reflect on, is there one scripture that comes to each of our minds that can help us reflect upon what maybe God has been doing among us or teaching among, teaching us in the last year? And is there one scripture that came to mind, comes to mind about maybe what God wants to root us in right now going forward? And that's the four texts that you just had read to you. So this will be a fun, exciting time, and uh, we want to share with you a little bit. Chauncey, would you lead us in prayer, and then we'll dive into this. Well, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Again, you've been so good to us. And we ask now, Father, that you would, by your spirit, open our minds to the gospel, open our minds to your word, lead us. We pray that you would use John Mark and myself to, to bring a message of joy and hope and love to your people. 
Pray that your church would be built up this morning, would be unified, and pray that Christ would be exalted among us. And we know that when we pray a prayer like that, we expect you to answer. Thank you for inclining your ear to us. Thank you for hearing us this morning. God, we ask you to be with us in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first text that Amanda read to us and that you see there in in your bulletin is from Romans 10. That's the text that came to my mind as we think about the last year. And, And the reason is I feel like the last year has been a year of sending for us. Sending. And if you look down at verse 17 in Romans 10, you'll see this word sent. And how, uh, excuse me, verse 15, said that wrong. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So everybody say sent. sent. It's been a year of sending. And the person doing the sending, by the way, here in this text is God. And uh, this is one of many sending passages in the Bible that reminds us that God is a missionary God, by which we mean God loves us, but he doesn't just love us. God has love for people in corners of our city who are hurting, who desperately need the love of God, but do not yet know the love of God. God has love for people in inner cities across our nation, in urban and in rural communities and in suburban communities across our nation. God has uh, love for people in war-torn countries across the world. God has love for people in Africa and Europe and Asia, and you get the point. All over the world, there are people loved by God, and he wants to bring the healing, restoring love of Jesus to those people. So God's love is on the move in the world, and he wants us to participate in it. Now, to help us get a little context, back up with me um, to, to verse 13 for a second. And this is a a great verse for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, saved, of course, is a great church word. It's a word that that we uh, say a lot, but maybe it means more than we think it means. Everybody say saved. saved. Now, if you grew up in Oklahoma or maybe I grew up in Texas in, in this part of the country, when you hear the word saved, maybe some pictures come to your mind. And the picture that came to my mind growing up was a uh, a picture of like at a church service or a revival service, walking down an aisle and saying a prayer and then saying, I got saved. And this verse was often used at that time to talk about, um, hey, if you call on the Lord and ask for him to forgive your sins, he will save you. He'll forgive your sins so that one day you could go to heaven. And all of that is actually true. And it's right. But the biblical word is just much bigger. You see, when the Bible talks about God's salvation, it is talking first about this reality that all of us have sinned. All of us have participated in the world's evil. Anybody want to admit that you're part of the problem in this messed up world? I mean, we all like to tell ourselves that the problem's out there, right? But when we get down to it, we're laying in bed at night. We all know we're part of the problem. We participated in the brokenness of the world. And that brokenness has affected our relationship with God. But God's a God of love and the salvation of God involves first and foremost forgiving us of our sins. God is a forgiving God who wants to to bring us back into relationship with him so we can be reconciled to God. So we can have peace with God. So we can have a living, joyful relationship with him. That's salvation. Everybody say saved. But the, the story of salvation in the Bible doesn't end there because the, the healing, restoring love of God that reconciles, reconciles sinners to a holy God doesn't leave us where it found us. It transforms us so that we who used to be people that were living in the darkness, now we learn to live in the light and to become people of peace and justice and joy who faithfully follow God. That's salvation. Everybody say saved. saved. 
And but it's actually doesn't stop there because it's not just about us individually. The salvation of God that reconciles us to God also reconciles us to one another so that all God's children, red, brown, yellow, black and white, young and old, American, Mexican, Chinese, wherever you're from, we learn to live together in a community of love and peace. That's the salvation of God. Everybody say saved. And it doesn't stop there, actually, because Romans 8 says this is not done until Jesus returns in glory to renew all creation. Creation itself is groaning for the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation so that there will be no more evil, no more pain. Jesus is going to wipe every tear from every eye and the healing justice and peace of God is going to come break every chain of affliction in the world and heal every wound of our hearts. That's salvation. So everybody say saved. Now, don't you want some of that? Well, salvation here comes from the Lord, the Lord. That's Jesus, the son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose again so that we could have the hope of a new creation. And how do you get it? According to this text? Well, the people that get it is, is the people that it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. I love that word for who, that word, whoever, because whoever means even really messed up people like me and you. Amen. Whoever, whoever calls and this call is not a call of you first. You got to get 30 years of sophisticated theological training. Then you got to get your Boy Scout merit badges for being a good person. Then you can call. No, this is the call of desperate faith. I am in need. Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. And everybody who has that kind of desperate faith in Jesus can experience the salvation of God because he's a great savior. But then Paul jumps into these rhetorical questions, which I'm going to run through quickly to get us back to our point. Because look what it says here. Okay, for people, hurting people to experience the salvation of God, what needs to happen? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, you can't cry out in desperate faith if you don't have faith. So the answer to this question is they can't. They can't call on him in faith if they don't believe in him. And then it says, and how are they to believe in him uh, of whom they have never heard? Listen, I never could have called on Jesus unless somebody told me about Jesus. I had to hear about him. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, when you hear preaching, don't think of preachers. Just think of this is just proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Can you tell people the story about Jesus? That's what this is talking about. How will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? Well, they can't. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? If we just hang out with each other and talk about how good Jesus is, then hurting people that we haven't met yet will never hear of the healing love of Jesus. Which is why this text then says... As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Quoting a beautiful passage from Isaiah saying, because God is a sending God, the church becomes needs to be a sending church. So I took a moment to reflect on this text because here's what's fun. When we started Christ Community Church eight years ago, by which I mean when eight friends gathered up in Chauncey's living room to pray together eight years ago. We were sending into South Oklahoma City, and we have seen lots of lives change in our city. But we were praying from the beginning that we would be able to send to other cities in our country and to other nations of the world. And we prayed that and prayed that. And finally, this year was the year it happened. Seven years of prayers got fulfilled. And actually, this is crazy. In the last year, we've sent about 20 people. Now, if you look around, this is a congregation of about 100 people. And I was doing the calculations. I think that's roughly 20% of our congregation that we sent in the last year. So uh, I, it was only 100, but we added 20. We can, we can check this later. <laughs> um, so we sent a bunch of our people in the last year and we sent uh, the, the Beasleys to lead a team of 15 people from our church down to Norman. Right. 
We sent the Belt family to Dubai. We sent Lori to Israel. We've got people scattered now among the cities of our, well, only two cities so far in our nation. And then now in three different countries proclaiming the gospel. And this is exciting to me because it means the sending God is at work in our midst. Amen. And so uh, I'm done talking about this one. But before I finish, we got we uh, had the idea at the last minute to ask some of our friends so you can hear about what's happening in Norman. You want to you want to see it? Here it Hello, is. Christ Community Church family. It's a great honor to be part of your eighth anniversary celebration service today. Thanks, Beasley. And to be able to share with you just a little bit about what God was doing in my life during those first couple years of Christ Community Church. In fact, I consider those two years to be two of the most important years of my life. It was a time in which I was learning a lot about who God is and what he's doing in the world and what it means for me as a disciple of Jesus to participate in that work. I was seeing people come to Christ and be transformed by his word and be transformed by the gospel. And I was experiencing and seeing Christian community and having this life modeled for me. Chauncey and John, Mark and Candace and Reed and Ashley and Jordan and Tina were just incredible role models for me. And they were living this out, laying down their lives for one another and laying down their lives um, for others to, to come to know Christ. They were models for me of, of, of what it looks like to, to live out Matthew 6.33, to seek first the kingdom and to trust God with everything. And I was able to witness God's work in them and through them as they did this and just felt daily challenged to do the same, to trust him like this. And during those two years, I just got a deep sense that God was saying, continue to do this. Continue to be part of the people of God in local churches, taking the gospel into unreached places to unreached peoples so that more and more people can become part of this family. Keep doing this. And this morning, it's an incredible testament to God's goodness and faithfulness that I'm sending you this video rather than telling you these things in person. Because last year, you guys sent our team to go do exactly that, to take the gospel to Norman, to establish a new church here so that more and more people can become part of the family of God as they're transformed by the gospel. And so, in, in fact, just a month from now, we'll get to celebrate our one-year anniversary and uh, reflect on all the incredible things that God's been doing among us this past year. And much of that fruit is the result of seeds that have been planted um, over these past eight years in Christ Community Church and are a testament to God's faithfulness and to your faithfulness as you have poured into us and equipped us and sent us here to do this. And so we are incredibly thankful for you, encouraged by you, and excited about many, 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 many more years of partnership with you in the gospel. We love you and we thank you. Isn't that really encouraging? Two reports from two out of the 20-ish that were sent in the last year. And I just wanted to share that for two reasons. One, I want to say thank you, God. Thank you, God, for allowing us to participate in the outward movement of God's love in the world. And second of all, I want to encourage you. I know as we're on our grind day after day in South Oklahoma City, we experience a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. Sometimes it feels like you, you, in, 
in the ministry of making disciples, it's three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, four steps back, two steps forward, you know. And we're, we, it's easy to get discouraged. We have the promises of God to stand on, that if we don't grow weary, we will reap a harvest. We also have a lot of experience that God is moving. And if it wasn't for your day-to-day faithfulness in the trenches here, not only is it the case that people here wouldn't have come to know you, but they've already got 80 people gathered up in Norman learning the gospel and growing in discipleship. They've had like 50 or 60 people in the last year make professions of faith in Jesus. Gospel Project Dubai is launched because of your faithfulness. So everybody turn to your neighbor and say, keep it up. Don't get discouraged. Chauncey, I went way too long on that one. We're going to be here all night if I do that again. Could you set the pace on being concise? Yeah, we're going to try. Here we go. (laughs) So God's been good to us, and we know that. We see that. We just heard about the good work he's been doing in our midst and outside of our midst. Both of those are really encouraging, really exciting. And the verse I want to focus on is the next one printed in your bulletin, which is Psalm 127, verse 1, which says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city... The watchman stays awake in vain. Now, if you've been with Christ Community Church for a while, you may be experiencing some deja vu when I read that passage because it seems like at least every year you see John Mark and I sitting on stools and you hear that verse, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. And we keep returning to that verse because here's the reality is that the glory belongs to Jesus. Everybody say the glory belongs to Jesus. The glory belongs to Jesus. Psalm 127 is attributed to Solomon. And he was the son of David, the king of Israel. Now, Solomon knew something about houses. He built two of them. One of them was the temple, which took about seven years to construct. One of them was his own personal palace. took about 13 years to to construct. But here's the thing. Solomon was not a, a builder. Solomon wasn't an architect. Solomon wasn't a planner. Solomon wasn't a designer. The thing about Solomon, the, the, the thing that Solomon had going for him was that he was the king's son. See, if you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 2, it tells us that King David, Solomon's daddy, had it in his heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. David had it in his heart to build a place, a permanent place on earth where the covenant relationship between God and his people would be manifest, where his covenant of steadfast love and faithfulness would be seen and would be felt. And that place had been the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle that moved all over the place. But he wanted a permanent location where God's people could experience God's presence whenever the time was right. There was a place where fathers could bring their families to remind them that they were part of a massive story of God's redemption. And he wanted a permanent place where God's people could come to worship and to feast in the presence of the Lord, their Redeemer, who brought them out of Egypt and who gave them an identity as God's people. That's what David had in his heart. What we know is that David didn't, God didn't allow David to build that temple. He gave him the plans for the temple, but he didn't allow him to build the temple. In other words, God commended David, but he didn't commission David. He told David that his son would have that great privilege. And so Solomon took his father's plans and he put his father's plans into action. Here's the thing. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon dedicates the temple. When he dedicates the temple, he turns around and says a blessing to the entire assembly that's gathered. And in verse 20 and 21 of 1 Kings chapter 8, we read this. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For for I have risen in the place of David my father, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He says, I may have built this house, but it is the Lord who fulfilled his promise. Right. 
I may have built it, but the Lord is the one who did it. All right. He is the initiator. He is the finisher of this work. That means that the glory belongs to God. Now, for the last eight years, you've been putting in work. Christ Community Church. You've been putting in work. You've been sharing the gospel all over the place. You've been mentoring kids. You've been working to build strong families. You've been doing your jobs with excellence. You've been trying to be witnesses of God's redemption in your workplaces. You've labored through difficult classes. You've spent time with classmates outside of class to build relationships with them and to share the gospel with them. You've reconciled difficult relationships in your family and without. I've watched you do it. You've broken generational cycles, friends. I've watched you do it. You've taken pay cuts. You've fixed broken stuff in your house. And you've done it because God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness who demonstrated that love by giving his son to establish a permanent covenant of of steadfast love and faithfulness with you and to all who turn from their sins to trust in Jesus. Jesus, the eternal son of God, who died and rose again to build a house for God to dwell. And that house is you. You, Christ Community Church, are the sign of God's covenant of steadfast love and faithfulness. You are the place where God manifests his presence most clearly. You are his masterpiece who has been sent. You've been sent to preach the gospel and to do good works. God commended his son. He was well pleased with his son because he died and rose again on your behalf. And then his son commissioned you, commissioned you to be his church and to go and make disciples. And you've been doing it. So as we look back on this past year, look back on the past eight years, we want to say, unless the Lord builds a house, you know what? The builder's going to labor in vain. But the, the truth is that God has been building his house. He's been building it through you. Let's give God glory and let's keep doing it. Amen. That was great concision. Plus a really encouraging word from the Bible. We could just stop right there. But I'm going to go ahead and say a few things about Jeremiah and I. So as we look forward, that was looking back. As we look forward to the coming year, I have no idea what the year is going to bring. No predictions here. Um, but here's what I know. Things are, there's a lot of exciting things going on now that weren't going on eight years ago. Um, the gospel project didn't exist eight years ago. We didn't have missions teams in these three different places eight years ago. Uh, Christ Community Health Coalition, led by Dr. Reed Abair, has been growing. And did, did you tell the whole family yet? Reed just got a $90,000 grant for Christ Community Health Coalition to expand uh, the ministry of, of that health coalition so that um, hopefully we're praying as we, we finish this expansion project, it'll move from Reed being able to provide free care for, uh, you know, five or six uninsured kids a week to a much larger um, reach of helping uninsured and, uninsured and underinsured kids in our community to experience the healing love of Jesus. Um, we've got people in the school system, working in the public school system, working in the charter school system. We're trying to support them as a church. And now we've got uh, people working with this collaborative project, St. Paul's Community School, trying to get an alternatively funded private Christian school um, going for inner city kids so that they don't have to pay a bunch of tuition and, and kids that are in poverty can get an excellent Christian education. There's just so much going on in the ministry in addition to the stuff we've already always been doing, teaching the Bible out in apartment complexes week after week. There's a lot going on. And the point of saying all that is to say we could actually take some of those good, exciting things and get focused on them and get spread out all over the place and get distracted and lose our way. 
And so as we move into the next year, I've just been thinking, what is it that is going to focus us, keep us rooted so that we can stay in the middle of the will of God, not get distracted, not get overextended, but just be filled with the life of God? And the answer is real simple, isn't it? From Jeremiah chapter nine. What does the text say? It says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. This word boast could also be translated glory. What are you glorying in? What gets you excited? What gets you going? What gets you motivated? Let not the wise man boast or glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast glory in his might. Let not the rich man boast or glory in his riches. So what is worth glorying in? What is worth living for? The answer is in verse 24. But let him who boasts boast in this. Let him who glories glory in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What's the one thing? That will satisfy our souls individually knowing God. What's the one thing that will keep our church focused in the right place? Knowing God. It's all about knowing God in Jesus Christ. So everybody say knowing God. That's got to be our focus. Listen, if some of our programs don't pan out the way that we want them to, that's okay because we're going to be about knowing God. Listen, if all of our programs take off and go better than we ever dreamed, we're still not going to get distracted because we're about knowing God. If it's the most fruitful year or the most discouraging year we've ever had, it's going to be okay if we're focused on knowing God because God never changes. God is a God who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness because he delights in these. God is the Lord who rescued Israel out of Egypt. God is the Lord who has never abandoned his people in all the generations of walking with Israel and the church. God is the God who became incarnate in the person of Jesus to die for sinners so that we could be reconciled to him. This God will never fail us. And if we as individuals and as people stay focused on walking with him, then there's going to be a centeredness and a spiritual power that will sustain us no matter what the future holds. So what do I think our goal ought to be for the next year? I think it ought to be the same thing as every year. It's all about knowing God and Jesus Christ. Thank you, Joe Mark. Yes, that's right. Right. Knowing God. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. So we would be able to know God. He did it to give us new hearts. To, turn, to change our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Hearts that, that are centered on and sensitive to God. So we might know him and enjoy him forever. I want to reflect on this verse from Psalm 119. It says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. What we see here is that the, the obedience of God's people is a zealous response to God's redemption. It's a zealous response to God's redemption. See, what John Mark just talked about is that what he's called us to, what God's called us to, is to know him. To know him. And in that, he's called us to center everything on him. To love him with everything that we have. And he knows that that is not just for his glory, it's also for our good. It's also for our good. This word that says, when you enlarge my heart, can also be translated, when you set my heart free. We've been created to know and to love God. We've been created to have a relationship with him that's incomparable to any other relationship. That's for his glory. And like I said, it's for our good. Nothing on earth else, nothing else on earth will satisfy the longings of our heart. 
I might think that my heart can be satisfied by a person, but it won't. That person will absolutely let me down. I might think my heart can be satisfied by a job or a position, but it won't. It won't. I was out at Lake Hefner a few weeks ago, and a guy walked up on me and, uh, not walked up on me, but just kind of stopped by. And he saw that I was praying. And he stopped to ask if I could pray, if you pray, if you pray with me, join me in prayer. I said, yeah, absolutely. He's a deacon up on the northeast side. And I asked him the reciprocal question. I said, how can I pray for you? So I've been working at this job for 19 years. They just laid me off. I'm out here to pray and walk and talk to Jesus and see what he's got next for me. 19 years. 19 years. He loved what he did. But a job won't satisfy you. A job can be here today. A job can be gone tomorrow. Right? I might think my heart can be satisfied by building up an impeccable reputation. But if I look deep within me, when I'm asleep at night, I'm going to know that I cannot maintain impeccability. We're created to live for God. He's the only one we're called to live for. And because Jesus died and rose again... We can. We can. He's given us good work to do. So when God enlarges our hearts, he's called us to run in the way of his commandments. Notice it says run. It does not say walk. This is a zealous, persistent, tenacious call to joyfully go in the path of God. As I was meditating on this, on this, on this passage, I was thinking about running. I don't run often. Um, I run to chase stuff, not to run for any other reason, just... Chase frisbees or balls or whatever. I don't, I just don't run. But I was, I started thinking about this idea of running and, and about this idea of God widening my heart, widening my heart in order to, 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 to run with perseverance in his way. And I started thinking about this and, and was reminded of the 2016 Olympics. If you guys watched the 2016 Olympics, there was one particular race. It was the 4x100 U.S. women's semifinals. Remember this? Some of you might remember this. I don't know, brother. That's all good. I'm watching. I'll tell you what happened. Please do. Here's what happened. U.S. sprinter Allison Felix was the third leg, and she was running. And she came to the straightaway and tried to hand off the baton. But the problem was she dropped the baton trying to hand it to English Gardner, who was going to finish the race. Now, the U.S. women's team won gold the previous Olympics. They were hoping to win it again. But as soon as that baton hit the ground, they were disqualified. Disqualified, right? All Olympic dreams out the window. But they decided they're going to finish the race, right? Like the Jamaican Bob says, they're going to finish the race, right? They dropped it, but they're going to finish. So they finished the race, and they appealed the disqualification. Now, when you look back at the film, you can Google it, you can YouTube it, go back, look at the film, and what happened is the Brazilian runner in the next lane crossed into the U.S. lane, and they think bumped Allison Felix, causing her to drop the baton, right? So they won their appeal, and that afternoon, they got to run the race again. But this time, they were the only team on the track. Only team on the track. They had to beat a time, I think, of 42.10 seconds. And they beat it. They went to the finals, and they won gold for the second, for the second Olympics in the, row, in the row. Now, what's the difference between the two races? The first one, they dropped the baton. The second one, they didn't, didn't, didn't drop the baton. The first race, Allison Felix was hindered, right? Somebody got in her way. Her path was closed. But the second time, they were the only ones on the track. Only ones on the track. And she was able to run unhindered, and she finished the race, and then they won gold. What's the story there? Hebrews 12 says, I want to throw off everything that hinders. Everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, so I can run with perseverance, the road marked out for me, setting my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then rose again. Why? So we can live after him. We have an inheritance set in heaven for us that will not be hindered. It is secure because Jesus died and rose again. If you've trusted in Christ, that is yours. 
That is yours. Which means we can enter this next year running zealously and joyfully the race marked out for us with integrity and with courage and with boldness and with love. Why? Because God, through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, has enlarged our hearts. He has freed us from our sin. He has freed us from everything that could possibly hinder us so we can run to get the goal, right? That's what he's called us to. So, let's get after it. Mm. <laughs> that was a good word. Did y'all hear the Cool Runnings reference? I got that one. I've been unplugged from pop culture for the last 15 years, but those 90s references, I got them, bro. Got it, man. <laughs> um, man, what a good word. We're about to respond to the word of God by taking, uh, taking the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, I just want to bow and pray one more time, giving God thanks for his faithfulness over the last year and praying for his grace, his continued favor moving forward. Would you bow with me? Lord, it is our confession, as Chauncey reminded us a few minutes ago, that unless you build the house, the builders labor in vain. I thank you for your grace, that you have treated us so much better than we deserve, and that you have even used us to extend your purposes in our world. Thank you for allowing this little congregation to participate in your sending work among the nations. And Lord, I I do want to pray... In the name of Jesus, just pleading for continued faithfulness and grace. Would you keep us from being distracted and make us a people that everything in our lives individually and everything in our congregational life will be centered on the one thing that's worth glorying in, namely knowing you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I pray uh, this this final scripture that Chauncey shared with us, Lord, would you enlarge our hearts so that we could would run, we would continue running with zealous, joyful faith in the path of obedience, not growing weary. For some of my friends here, Lord, I know that there's people here who have been laboring faithfully for years, and I am sure some of them are tired this morning. Would you enlarge their hearts? Would you give them fresh Wind, fresh grace by the power of your spirit this morning to run in the path of your commandments. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us. We give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.